0: Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Hey everybody, it's Zane with another conversation. It's part of the interview series. Thanks for joining us. I think I may mention this in the forthcoming chat, but you know, I hadn't really had a chance to connect with anyone in Imagine Dragons during some of the most productive and successful moments in their early career. you got to remember as a band, they came out the gate, dominated radio, dominated these big award shows, huge ticket sales. They pretty much instantly became... The kind of alternative rock band of the moment Them and 21 pilots a couple of others but they definitely stepped into that space so for whatever reason we never really touched bass and it wasn't until life took an interesting turn for dan reynolds in the band that we actually met and so the person that i met the first time was ready to talk and ready to open up and was doing a lot of self-work and figuring out what he meant to his life outside the band and how that relayed back to the band but my point being It just wasn't promo. It wasn't like, hey, let's talk about the album. It went real deep, real quick. And so I've always looked forward to talking with him ever since, just as a human being, let alone seeing how Imagine Dragons are evolving over time. So that brings us to this really great moment where I get a chance to connect with Dan about this brand new Imagine Dragons album, Mercury Act One. I also get to talk to somebody who, needless to say, has gone on to become one of the most influential creatives and human beings in the world of music and art throughout our lifetime that's mr rick rubin who acts as executive producer across this whole brand new imagine dragons album so that brings us pretty much up to date the conversation begins with me and dan and very quickly swerves into a three-way conversation with dan reynolds and rick rubin right here on the interview series This is how the album starts, people. Powerful, powerful observations. You know, one of the things about Imagine Dragons and fans truly know this, that in and behind the power of the music is the power of the words. The person who writes them, dives deep and pulls them out, joins me right now in advance of a conversation we're going to have in two parts, joined by your friend and collaborator on this record, Rick Rubin, we're going to connect with him soon. But right now, Dan, I wanted to touch base with you first and just say, how you doing?
1: Man, I'm feeling really good. You know, its uh, I didn't know how I would feel this week because this was three years in the making to make this record. I've never sat on music for this long. So it's, I don't know, uh, you know, you lose a lot of perspective and you don't really know as much as I knew with other records what I was putting out. So I listened to it for the first time this last week in its entirety. Well, for the first time in in months, I took a break from it. And I felt really good. I felt like, okay, you know, this is an honest output. And that's all I care about at this point in my career. You know, it's just honesty. And I feel really excited to get it out there.
0: You know, it's funny. You talk about sitting on music and and we've I've had this conversation with a couple of artists who have been faithful to music through the quarantine period. And um, the same observation kind of comes up, and I wanted your thoughts on it, which is that, you know, you trust instinct to such a degree when you're putting music out. That's, that's what, the, you know time and your lack of it allows you to shoot from the hip a little bit more and live with the consequences in time, which, which we as fans help you do. Because we love the records. So all of a sudden, you're like, cool, phew, we're good. But when you're sitting with it on your own, it must be the closest thing to kind of listening to it like we listen to it, going to it, coming back, going to it, coming back, analyzing it before we
1: hear it. I never fully comprehend thematically what the record is even about sometimes it takes me years. Like I just, I just was re-listening to some of our old records, like Smoke and Mirrors and even Night Visions and finally understanding what those records were about. And it's taken me years, you know, and I thought I knew what it was about at the time, but it's like, I'm not that uh, deliberate for better or for worse when I'm writing it. I'm really just kind of, it just comes, it's almost like word vomit. You know, when I'm, when I'm writing a song, it's like, I just write exactly what I'm feeling in that moment, and then the next day I'm writing exactly what I feel in that moment. So thematically, I don't really understand or comprehend. Oh wait, I'm I was going through a huge spiritual crisis, right. you know, or I was dealing with like, you know, whatever it was, addiction or something that for me at the time I was like, oh, this is about this, but it really was about something entirely different, you know.
0: What's really on the nose about this album is just lyrically how upfront you are being you know it seems to me that transparency played a big big role in this one in particular that you didn't want to to bury anything i mean you're talking about pills on the table and i mean this song is is really probably the album starts at what sounds like your lowest point in a moment of realization that you need more from
1: life one thing that really rick pushed me on was he, we first of all we sat down and went over every lyric of every song i've never done that with anybody it's an uncomfortable process for me especially when you're writing about vulnerable things and first of all he pushed me just the aura of rick is a very honest energy so everything he wants to be a part of he's he's at a point in his life where and i mean again he could speak to this better but from what i saw if it's not honest he doesn't care about it he's not interested in it it's like oh cool yeah but if it feels vulnerable then he cares so i already was in that existence and i needed someone to push me like that which is why we thought look rick rubin will be a good match i think for this record and And it did. It really pushed me to go to kind of uncomfortable places. You know, I, I, as a lyricist, one of my biggest flaws, I think, as I look through our years together is I was really overly metaphorical because I was very fearful about being honest and vulnerable. And that started with, from a young age, when I was afraid of my mom understanding what I was talking about when I was like 12 and 13 writing songs.
0: Wow. What a fascinating and, and deep, you know, process to find yourself in at a formative age. To have this desire to express yourself creatively, but but be afraid to to show your hand to the person who's closest to you at that moment in your life, the person who's there to guide you in your life. were you doing that because you were trying to protect your mom, or protect yourself?
1: Probably both. I grew up in a super religious family, so and religion just didn't sit well with me from a young age. you know some people it works I, at least from my opinion. I look and I think, wow, this really works for some people. And they're like happy and it makes them, it gives them kind of a core foundation. For me, it really shook my core foundation completely over and over because I was always grasping for something that I wasn't finding. I wasn't finding solid ground in it. And um, I didn't want my mom to know that because it's my mom's everything. It's her, um, it's her core existence. And it's like, you know, it means everything to her. And she wants to live with her kids forever. And in that, and which I understand, especially as a parent now.
0: How has she learned to relate to what it is that you do?
1: You know, I think my mom has had to let go of a few things. Um, you know, my sibling told, one of my siblings told me the other day that she sat down with them and she was like, it, she came to, we did one of our first shows in the first, in three years. We haven't done a show in a long time. The other night, and she came to the show. At the high school? Yeah, yeah. At my old high school. And she said to one of my siblings afterward, like, you know what? I think that uh, God's going to care more about your heart. And I know Dan's heart. And so it's all going to be okay. And that for me, it sounds like probably corny to a lot of people, but that for me is like everything. That's like uh, for my mom to just have peace and know. And look, I don't know (laughs) what happens when I die. Like I I really don't. I have no idea. And as I get older, you know, I know less.
0: How's that working out for you? The idea of knowing less and being willing to go along for the ride without necessarily knowing, you know, someone Mm -hmm. said it the other day. I loved it, that I I know where I'm going, but I don't want to know how I'm going to get there. And I think of you throughout the time that we've gotten to know each other as someone who is learning to let go more and more with every record. That is is my top level observation from someone who I hope I'm on the right path, but it feels like that is a big part of what you're trying to achieve here is a sense of relinquishing that control, which comes from that kind of upbringing of religion and structure
1: a hundred percent, hundred percent, you know, and, and I tried to, you know, for, I don't even know if I tried to do it on purpose, but the visuals of, it's funny. Cause I look through the visuals of our record and they really tell a story of the, the whole idea of it is it starts with a little boy, you know, night visions is this boy that's standing on looking out into this grand world and he's standing on these, these steps and he seems like he's going to fall into this grand abyss. And then the records proceeded to be kind of this boy that was falling and falling and falling. And this record for me, we kept with that symbol, you know, there's this man falling, but this land, this record for me is like, it symbolizes the landing. Like, it's like, and I'm not saying I'm landing and I like, I know anything, but it's kind of like, I'm okay.
0: You're on solid ground.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'm okay with, I'm building new ground. Like, it's like I'm on something. I don't know what it is. Like, I've had a lot of really spiritual, like the most spiritual experience of my life happened in the last two years ago. And that's a story for another day. I think I, I brought it up to you before about ayahuasca, but super transformative to me. It was like a glimpse at, at believing in something again, which was so exciting for me. Like all I want in this life is to believe in something. You know, I want to believe in something more grand. Um, some people don't care about, you know, those things and they just live their life. And then some people really care about it. And it's like, they're obsessed with it. And for me, I fall into that category of like, I think about it every day. It's all I want to talk about.
0: I think most creative people are searching for purpose and your art is a way to express where you are at any given moment in your life. Yeah, we'll talk about the controlled trip in more detail perhaps one time. That sounds like a fun conversation, but I don't want to skip past it either because as a writer, you have to reflect your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions in any given moment. And if that was a spiritually transformative experience, my laser guided question is how did it affect your writing?
1: Oh, so much so. It made me, uh, it will, so it happened prior to even working with Rick. And I think it led me to Rick in some weird universal way because my biggest fear in life, and I didn't know this until recently, is lack of control. I really am super terrified. You did realize of, that?
0: Anybody who's ever listened to your music realized that, bro. You were the last one to that party.
1: <laughs> yeah yep super fearful of that it's my greatest fear by far and anybody who has is kind of taken the journey of, of ayahuasca and again it sounds so i hate even bringing it up in a mainstream way because i feel like i don't want it to sound uh, trite. trite yeah, you're not what. trying to
0: commercialize yeah. it though but it's okay we're talking about the specifics of the experience
1: it uh i had to give up control completely and i died i like spiritually i felt physically like i died Uh, and I had, and it was like, I was dying, I was dying, I was dying. And this is like, again, this is a story for a long, long, like, there's so much more to this. I saw so many things in my life from a bird's eye view and it gave me so much deeper understanding of it, but I ended up like holding on, holding on. And I was dying, I was dying, I was dying, like really felt the most convincing like version of dying until I finally was like, you know what? Okay. I'm going to die. And then I died (laughs) and I died and I was, it was like nothingness. And then it was like then i heard like the bell and the and the and the this uh this incredible shaman came over and like kind of like was was helping me kind of come alive again and it felt like a rebirth it felt like everything that i had been told that religion would give to me it's that's it was like you know the whole like um you know born again stuff like that actually was like oh wow okay and that wow. and so that i i marked that moment as like you know my kind of B-C-A-D, you know, it's like, I really do.
0: There's some really amazing themes on this album. And, you know, the idea of reconciliation and being able to be where you belong is, is 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 a part of it, I feel. And I think that we've spoken about this a bit on the record before. The idea of realizing that what you want is right there in front of you and to stop running around it in circles. And I wonder sort of, you know, how it was to be able to express that on this record, talking about your relationship, talking about the life you've built for yourself and finally accepting that that is, that's the joy.
1: You know, it it it's exactly that. Like I have spent decades looking for happiness. And it's like, sometimes you realize, and this is something at least for me that I've realized is exactly that. Like my happiness is actually right here. Like it's, it's every day sitting down with my, like my 24 month old and just sitting there and just watching him like be and watching him smile about things or like sitting down with a friend and having a conversation and having a great meal. Like that's happiness instead of like searching, searching, searching. Like I need, I need answers. I'm so afraid to die. Like, I'm so afraid of like missing out on, knowledge i need knowledge like where are these people finding this knowledge look at these people they seem happy what are you doing that's making you happy like you spend your whole life with like and then you die (laughs) like wait 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 what was the point of this all like you know so it's like i don't know i'm i'm trying like presence of like consciousness being here like i'm here with you yeah Talking to you that's it like that's all my brain is is focused on that's what i'm trying to do at least that's my the, the conscious living that i'm trying to like to do every day and I'm not great at it. It's hard for me, I have to reapply myself.
0: Well, congratulations to both of you you know, on, on coming together and collaborating so meaningfully on this record. And just as a top level observation, Rick, I'd love to just know what drew you to the band and, and made you want to make this a, a part
2: of your life. It really was the songs. It started with a conversation. The band had reached out to me. I said, let's, let's just talk, like let's, and I was in Hawaii at the time. We got on a group Zoom. And we just talked for a while and they were in a place where they were looking for some outside help. They are very much of a self-contained unit. Everybody in the band writes, everybody in the band produces, everybody in the band plays. They're wildly sophisticated in their production ability, in their playing and in their writing. And with this glut of greatness um it was helpful to have someone from the outside who wasn't attached to anything say this part's really good maybe we can focus on more of this and this part's not as good is there any way we can make it stronger or maybe we shift to a different direction so it was really uh looking at the material that was there which was a ton i mean before we even started they sent me i don't know 80 songs something like 80 songs and they, and by the way, those 80s songs sounded like finished records. Those were not demos, were like a freestyle <laughs> over a beat. Those were completed, what, what other artists would release as finished records. Yeah. So I listened to those and gave comments on, again, strengths and weaknesses, any themes that I saw through the process, any places where I thought, oh, this is an interesting area where it's really good and the band hadn't gone there before, and maybe that was something interesting to look at. And um, so really it was rooted in a combination of the material and then talking to the guys and just seeing that they were very open to finding the future of the band. And that's what the goal was.
0: That is a beautiful, beautiful observation. The idea of the future of the band. You know, we hold our artists in place, I think where they're at their most successful and effective as fans, we like to keep them frozen in time. And, it, you know, I want to, I'm, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Dan, seeing as how you came to the realization that you wanted a future and you didn't just want to be the radioactive band uh, or the thunder band, that you wanted to be something new.
1: Yeah, you know, I think my, my goal, especially as I get older, my, my first goal with creating art is putting out something that is honest. Like that, and Rick from the little I knew of him before and the research that I had done and the records he had done always felt on it as far as, is just like the output of the art that he was involved with. And so I think when we met, he, you know, Rick was challenging for me in a lot of ways that I needed. Um, I'm re- it's really easy for me to get stuck in a box. It's really easy for me to kind of see, see two choices and take the easier choice. That's been, um, It's one of my weaknesses, and I think Rick immediately, the thing that I saw is he wanted to go over every lyric. Nobody ever made me do that. Nobody ever sat me down and said, hey, let's go over every lyric. That was hard for me. It was really uncomfortable for me. I have a hard time enough knowing that people are going to hear what I'm talking about. And another of my weaknesses that I talked with you about a minute ago, Zane, was that I really feel like I'd be overly metaphorical out of fear of people knowing what I was talking about. Rick made me feel comfortable um, in my... Made me feel accepted, kind of in the environment, especially once we got into a kind of a human human level, and um, that's that's really what I was looking for. And, and he, ch- he challenged me. He would, and never I never felt like you did it, Rick, in a way that was like purposefully like challenging. I, I felt like it always was just. You were just looking for honesty, and one of the things I always talked about that you would say that that stuck with me is you would say, "I don't, I don't know that I believe that."
0: <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That is crucial, and and that's that's a powerful observation in so many different ways because it's not actually designed to offend; it's just designed to to make you like stand like stand by what you're saying. Like if if you want me to believe it. Help me understand deeper what, you, what it is you're trying to say, Rick, when you're making observations like that and you really are trying to get somebody get somebody to get to a place where the words truly matter, you just heard Dan say it can be really tough. Um, how is it for you knowing that there are moments when you' you've got somebody in a really uncomfortable place with the best of intentions to come out the other side, can it be challenging for you as well?
2: Well, I know that we're all there for the same purpose. our mission is the same and we're there together to make the best thing we can. And we're not there to make each other feel good. Now, that said, we're not, we're not trying to insult each other or hurt each other's feelings. So it's, it's always done in as removed a way as possible. It's, it's, we're talking about a thing. I'm not, I'm not saying, I don't like Dan or I don't believe Dan. I, would, I don't say that. I believe Dan. <laughs> I like Dan. So I wouldn't say those things. But I can read a lyric and say, this line it doesn't sound honest to me. Is that, really, is that really true? Is there something you could say that's more true? Is there something you could say there that accomplishes what you want to accomplish in the song where I feel it instead of questioning it, you know?
0: Dan, how challenging is it for you to continue being in a band, as I've mentioned before, that everybody kind of knows and likes for certain songs and certain things? And this is a general question I think I could ask almost any artist with your level of success. How, how challenging is it to stay excited and stay enthusiastic moving forward when you're kind of known for something else?
1: Yeah, it's been really challenging for me. It really has. I'd be lying to say otherwise. You know, I... Any band dynamic is really difficult. And this was another thing that Rick was really strong at, which was is just dealing with band dynamics. I think he's done it for so long, he probably just understands how to maneuver and fill in the gaps. Rick Rubin
0: has studied at the University of System of a Down, the University of ACDC, the University of Red Hot Chili... I mean, it's like that is the degree.
1: It's a real thing. And band dynamics are hard, especially after a decade together, especially after rises falls being unsigned together being signed and fame and all the things like there's so many things at play and egos and it has been a challenge we did you know we did band therapy we sat in a room as a band uh, two years ago with two therapists and had to go through stuff that you don't want to go through but we do that because i hated when bands broke up i i loved so many bands that broke up when i was younger I became a musician because I was such a fan of music. I would sit by the radio and I would just record any song that came on that I loved on my little tape deck. And I started doing that when I was like 11, I invested in these bands. And then when they broke up, it felt like your parents getting divorced almost. And I didn't believe anything they did after that. I was like, I don't believe it. I don't, even if it was one person doing all the writing, you just, I, I, it just killed it for me. So it's like a, you know, it's like a relationship. It's like a marriage. It's like, you have to work work and rick really helped with that process it was you know i'm sure rick felt tension that he probably didn't acknowledge or you know i don't know i can't speak for him but there was it's hard but we're in a better place now than we've ever been and that's because we've, we've worked
0: i think about some kind of monster and i think about that 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 movie and the way that metallica just kind of had to wear that that whole sort of what i would consider to be really sort of misconception that therapy is you know, something that's a a failure or weakness, you know? And Metallica were the first band I felt who really, to that degree, put that on display and showed that it actually really helped. I think more bands, Rick, would you agree with this, that more bands, if if you want to dedicate yourself to the creative arts, and it requires chemistry and harmony, should consider something like that. It's ultimately about personal relationship work, isn't
2: it? Yeah, if you think about how few marriages survive, now imagine that it's not just times four it's times 16 because it's each person has a relationship so it's like for each member it's three marriages and then within that there are the group dynamics of with each member there's a relationship with two of the members and not a third it's like the 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 number of complicated relationships and cliques that can form within four people it's complicated, and, and it can go from the songwriters, it could go from the rhythm section, it could go from these two guys used to share a room together. It's like there's so many different historical reasons for the, uh, the tensions, and in a band like Imagine Dragons, where everybody's really talented, like really talented, Berklee School of Music, high-level, sophisticated talents, and Dan has such a particular voice and such a particular songwriting style and the relationships between Dan and Wayne's songwriting. And then the relationship between Ben and plots and the way they play together and the way they write together and the way they do orchestrations together. There's such a wealth of information that it's hard to like deal with it all. And everybody knows that the stuff they're making is good. It's just. Which way do we go? So it it definitely gets, um, it's daunting dealing with both the song volume and then the production volume. Because again, everybody can play and produce everything. Everything is multiplied in this band and the tensions along with it, just based on the volume, you know, luckily everybody gets along, you know, they're, they're friends and they've been friends for a long time. And I think if you guys weren't friends for a long time, I don't know that it would be able to work, but it seems to really work. And you guys all care about each other and love each other and respect each other. And I think that's the key to the dynamic working is, it's an honest, real relationship where you hear each other. Not all bands are like that. Some bands, certain members just always feel like they're not really part of anything.
0: Dan, you and I spoke for the first time, you were already probably arguably the biggest alternative rock band in America. And we had never really touched base because your music had just gone straight into the zeitgeist. And where I was working at the time, you were on breakfast shows and daytime shows. I just never got a chance to connect with you in the UK. And we finally met. And I realized, because in my head, and please don't take this the wrong way, the level of success you were having, I just felt like there's a Maroon 5 thing going on here. Not stylistically, let me qualify that, in the sense that you're focusing on radio songs and the band dynamic will follow you to the stage. But it's really just about how big these radio songs are. I only realized, having spoken to you, that you were a real band, to Rick's point, and that each of you uh, is the sum of all parts. And I wonder if if that's also been something that's kind of, taken time for you to figure out how to present your band the way you always wanted to p- present it and not the way that it ultimately landed through success?
1: Yeah, you know, I, it's, I was thinking about this the other day, trying to understand have perspective on these 10 years and why I write the way I write and, and stuff like that, because I still haven't figured it out fully, but the, the consensus that I came to, because I write, every, you know, I write every lyric, I write every melody, we write these songs, like nobody's writing these songs for us. And I understand from the outside how it is so radio driven. I think I was thinking about this. I thought, you know what? I never really listened to artists discography growing up. I didn't. I sat by the radio. First of all, because one, there was nine kids in my family. I did not grow up in a wealthy family and you have nine kids. You can just do the math. Money was not like easy to come by. I never went to a show. The first show I ever went to, I played, I played up. So wow. I wasn't like some kid who dug in on like, hang let me- on,
0: hold up. I had to drop on on that. Sometimes people just make the most simple observations about their life and yet looking the way Rick, Rick just reacted and I'm reacting like that is mind blowing. The first show you ever went to, you were on the stage looking out at the crowd.
1: Yeah, it's like I, I, <laughs> festivals blew my mind. Crazy, thing I've been missing out on. But, but the point that I want to come to is that I didn't buy albums. I listened to the radio. I listened to singles. Only that's it. I would sit in the room next to Mix 94.1, which in Las Vegas is like the alternative station, and I would record songs of the 90s because I'm a child of the 90s that I loved. And it was like Alanis Morse, it was like no doubt. all the powerful like women of the 90s. I loved that Nirvana, I loved it. Hip hop, like it was just hip-hop and, and 90s rock. That's it. And all the singles. So for me, an honest output is big pop songs. I would be a liar if I tried to write, I don't know, like some other way. That's how I write. I lo- that's what I want to listen to. I like to listen to big songs that are poppy and melodic. And I like angst and I like moments of grunge, but I didn't grow up on classic rock and like prog rock. Like it's not real for me.
0: So Dan, my question for you at this point is, and I know the answer to this. So let me make it more of a statement. You must believe in the manifestation and the drawing of experiences to yourself. Because if you're listening to radio in the nineties, you're listening to the work of Rick Rubin. There's no question about it. Yeah, for sure. Songs all over the radio. Some of the biggest records in every decade since you've been making music, Rick, 90s, no exception. So in a weird way, when you think about where you stand now and your friendship with Rick in this actual creative collaborative era, do you feel like it's being that you've been have been drawing it? toward yourself in some, in, in some capacity ever since you've been making music, that this was always the path?
1: It's really interesting. I mean, I never have thought of it like that. Um, you know, I don't know the answer to that because I'm also such a skeptical person because I was burned so hard by religion that it's really... And I think one of the things that has been so inspiring to me working with Rick is I have been trying to refine spirituality and belief in something greater than, than nothing. <laughs> And when the rug is pulled out on you with religion and stuff, I was left with nothing, nothing. It made me trust. No one. I believe no one, any story. Anybody told me it was a ghost story. What it was all just fantastical and bullshit. And, uh, I've been trying to refine believing in deeper things, unexplainable things. And I think it's good to question. Like I'm not letting go of, I'm not believing everything, but I, but I'm trusting, you know, where I feel honesty. And the thing about Rick and anybody, who knows Rick and has spent time with him, I think would say the same thing is Rick is honest. Rick is just Rick. I feel like everywhere that comes out of Rick's mouth is Rick says it because Rick believes it. And that's it. There's no bullshit. There's no, there's no inte- weird intentions. Like it's just Rick being Rick. And that that's inspiring to me. And that that's spiritual truth for me. Like just honesty. You know, I don't know if the universe is anywhere, but I know that I felt like, hey, let's work with Rick on this record. He's done a lot of stuff that I love. And then we met Rick and I really loved his energy and I felt like he was honest.
0: Rick, when you've been with artists in a creative space, I, I know this because I've spoken to you know a fair amount of artists who have walked away from that experience with a better spiritual awareness as well as great music, and that somehow they're drawn towards you, and then they realize it's more than just producing or creating music. That there's there's something more that they can get from this experience. Do you recognize that that, that there's that opportunity in others sometimes when they come to you? Do you go, hmm, okay, maybe this person would benefit from pause, think, meditate, go for a walk? Whatever it is, are you searching for ways to renew the spirit or the, the holistic side of the creative process as well as making great music?
2: I think it's, it's really one thing. The, the nature of making music is it's magic. You know, Yes, we have some ability, but so much of what happens when it's good is beyond us. And I see it happen on a daily basis. So I'm in in great, I'm respectful and humble about where it comes from because I know it's not me. I know I'm, I'm a piece of the puzzle, just like Dan's piece of the puzzle. We're all pieces of the puzzle. But it's not just us. If you really want it to be great, because you can make something that's pretty good and you can make something that's pretty good and you can make something that's pretty good and then all of a sudden you make one that's like remarkable. Now, we're doing the same thing we did on all the pretty good ones. Why is this one remarkable? It's still us. Everything is the same. So recognizing that there's this other force at work and that basically we have to be patient. And I'm not saying it's not our work and that if we don't do the work, it's not going to happen. We can work as hard as we want. If there's not a sense of grace involved in it, it's not going to be good. You know, it'll just be you know, it'll sound like a homework assignment. And the things that don't sound like homework assignments, even when you're making them, you don't understand them. You know, you, you don't always understand it. I bet you, Dan, you could probably look at songs that you wrote a long time ago and look back and have new understanding of them that you had no idea when you wrote them. Dan, you said that at the
0: beginning of the conversation, didn't you? We spoke literally one of the first things you said was like, I don't even realize what I've written until much, much later.
2: That's what I'm saying. It's like, there's some other thing going on. We're part of this process. We're involved. So you can't help but have some, um, the spiritual comes into it because for for me, making music is a spiritual practice. It's just the nature of what it is.
0: It's beautiful. It's really an exercise in in letting go. And we talked about that, Dan. And I have this this thing about like, what is the core essence of life when all is said and done? You know, when you come to the end of your ride, what really rings true at the end of that kind of montage of memories, you know, and it really is those two words because I feel like, and I'd love your thoughts on this as we, as we near the the end on the idea of letting go. Now you've been through this process with Rick made this new album, clearly the best experience of doing that thus far as a band, because those two words, let go. It's what you have to do when you're born and it's what you have to do when you die. That's it. Those two words are the only things that you have to focus on, right? Let's let go. So as someone who struggled with control throughout your life, you talked about that before, where, where are you at now with that premise?
1: It's an ongoing process for me. You know, every day I wake up and I have, first of all, I have an incredible partner who helps me refocus in a really beautiful way every day, always is patient with me knows I'm always having a hard time letting go of control also always, but I'm, I'm trying to like be present. But she always is just a reminder. And sometimes it's just subtleness. It's just seeing her be conscious. And I'm like, wow, I want to be like that, you know, so that having that around me, that energy is helpful. And I think I'm really attracted to people who are like that. I felt like Rick was really like that. It was always kind of this consciousness, like when Rick's talking to you, Rick's talking to you that consciousness is, that's hard to come by. I think today, I think there's, and it's, it's not blaming anybody, but just the world that we live in. We live in a world. that's like, there's so many distractions, so many like things going on that it's a really beautiful thing when you sit with someone and they're there and you're there and that's it. And that's hard to come by. So Rick was like that in the process. So I, you know, I try to surround myself with people who are like that and it helps me because it's, it's a, it's a really hard thing for me. And like, uh, I don't know. I hope to land there someday. I feel like I'm definitely getting closer. I think I've been reeling from a spiritual crisis for years, and I've been writing about that for years. And that I look at Imagine Dragons and I'm like, oh, it's really just all about someone who really believed in something really dearly. And I wanted it to be true so bad. And then finally having to let go of that, and then being left with nothing, and that being really scary for me. And then trying to pick up pieces and make something and not being able to make anything, and then finally just hitting the ground. And, uh, and, tr- and trying to, f- to rebuild from there. And so I just try to inspire my, uh, surround myself with people who are inspiring to help me kind of rebuild. And-
0: you know, my friend just texted me and, and it just came up on my screen and my eye just diverted to it. And he said, you look so happy to me. And the simple reason that, because he's watching this right now, he's on the closed circuit in there. And the reason I, I look so happy is because I got two really, really brilliant, brilliant human beings in front of me. You know, Rick, you know, I love you. I'm so proud you're my friend, man. You're the best. I miss you, man. Can't wait to see you in person.
2: I love you too, Zayn. I miss you and I can't wait to give you a hug. Yeah,
0: you too. And Dan, getting to know you and converse one, you know, one album, one conversation at a time is, is, has been such a joy for me and I, and I look forward to it every time. You're brilliant to converse with, bro. You're unafraid and wonderfully open and, 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 and searching and curious. And that's all I look for, man, and my mates. So it's great to see you both. Congrats on a triumphant record. Good luck with everything. Mercury Act One, Rick Rubin, Dan Reynolds. Love you both. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Great to see you, Rick. Zane is always wonderful to see you.
0: Follow the interview series at a rating or a comment if you enjoyed that conversation with Dan Reynolds and Rick Rubin. And we'll be back next time with my latest conversation with the brilliant Casey Musgraves.